every day on social media, someone tells me the same thing, which is you could grow 10 times faster if you did X. You could add five more million if you did Y. If you just did Z, your business would scale. Like, I don't give a shit. I don't want anything that puts me out of control. I am the owner of every part of my business. I don't want a publisher involved. I don't want a partner involved. I don't want an investor involved. I don't want anybody involved except for myself because I'm accountable to myself. I can go on vacation when I want. I don't answer to anybody. And I no longer have the fear of losing that control. And that's what solopreneurship to me is all about. What is up, you sexy bastards? It's your boy, Bigote, aka Rabbi Can't Lose, aka Noah Kagan. In today's episode, I talked to Justin Welsh. Now, this is a guy I've seen on Twitter. He's known for being a solopreneur, and he's way more impressive than I ever expected when we got a chat with him. He runs a one-person business that does $1.7 million, and I think he spends about $600 a month to run the business. And so it's insane to learn actually how he does it and how you can do it too for yourself without hiring any people. That's even crazier. So I talked to Justin. You can learn more about him on Twitter. It's at the Justin Welsh, as well as check out his newsletter at Justin Welsh. That's W-E-L-S-H dot M-E. If you ever want to learn about running a one-person business and scaling it using systems, you're going to love this episode. Here's three gigantic things you're going to take away. Uno, how to turn one idea into multiple pieces of content. Dose, the importance of being self-aware and accepting who you are. Three, how a panic attack changed Justin's life and business. Enjoyed those three things, plus a bunch more ear nuggets along the way. We are re-promoting monthly1k.com. If you've ever thought about starting your own business, I think the price is going to be stupidly affordable. This is going to be a community and course. It's how we built AppSumo.com. I think it's going to be, I don't even know the price, but it's going to be low and it's going to be super worth it. If you've ever wanted to start a business or you want some creative ways of growing your business, I think it might be inspiring for you. That's monthly1k.com. Also, special pre-show shout out to listener ToeJam86. What a screen name. How do they figure that one out? They left reviews saying, great interviews, amazing with Kinko's and Drain. I love all this regular schedule programming. Thank you for your feedback and every one of you gorgeous listeners for your comments. If you ever want to shout out in a future episode, you know what to do. Just leave a review wherever you're checking out the show. My name is Justin Welsh and my business doesn't have a real fancy name. It's just my name, Justin D. Welsh, LLC, soon to be Justin D. Welsh S Corp. And uh, my business does about 1.7 million uh, in revenue per year. And uh, I have a team of one. It's just me. I used to have a virtual assistant. I don't anymore. Uh, my wife definitely helps and supports, but in terms of employees, it's uh, just this guy, no ghostwriters, no, uh, no support team, no nothing. The whole thing is you. Yeah, the whole thing. People don't believe it. They, li- they literally never believe it. They just find that to be, they think I'm being deceitful, but I'm not. I write everything. I, create content. I write my newsletter. I do all my customer service. I had a virtual assistant for a while, but no longer. I probably should. So I mean, a lot of questions in there. Are you, are you not sleeping? <laughs> no, I sleep a lot. I, um, I just have a really structured... Like I come from a tech background. So before I was doing what I do today, whatever you want to call that, I'm a creator. I have knowledge products. I sell subscription services. I, I do a lot of different things. But Prior to this, I was an executive at a SaaS company, and I was a part of two unicorn companies over the last 10 years, so early employee at both, CRO at the last. And I think what I've been able to bring to this one-person business that I think a lot of other people struggle with in terms of scaling and staying small is just systems. So everything that I do from writing all of my content, writing my newsletter, doing my subscription email, doing any coaching, which I don't do a lot, 
everything is systematized. So like, I never sit down and wonder what I have to do each day. I sit down and each day is very, very orchestrated. And um, that's super helpful. Can you break down the 1.7 million, like where that comes in from? Sure. Um, yeah, let's see. So here is how my business breaks down. It looks like I'll do about 1.3 million in courses. I'll do about 144 to 150,000 in coaching, 108 to 120 in sponsorships. This is guesses because there's still nine more days left. About 100 to 103 in subscriptions, and then around 24 to 30K in affiliates. I got to ask, what's the cost of this? What was the cost to you of running this business? I, my business costs about $623 a month, plus 2.9% to Stripe, plus 30 cents. I'll be incorporating, so I, I run it about, I think, I have to do the math, but I think it's something like 94, 95% margins. And I'll be incorporating some more expensive tools next year. So that, that'll decrease a little bit, but those tools will certainly help uh, the business be more automated. What do you do with all the money? I invest. My wife is, she runs a very similar business to me, but for the financial space, she's not certified. She's not a financial planner. She's not an advisor. She's none of those things. Her dad was a stockbroker. She's super educated. And so we invest a lot. And uh, we just bought a new house here in the mountains in New York. And we do a lot of fun things. We like to travel. We're childless by design. So we eat at a lot of nice restaurants and we travel a ton to Europe and Asia. And that's how we like to spend our money. But we, we love investing. We're trying to build a pretty big nest egg. For whom? I don't know. I guess for ourselves. But um, yeah, that's, how we, that's how we spend it. And the course that you have, that's the, the majority or, uh, of the revenue. What is the course for people who don't know? It's called the operating system, and it's essentially used to be called the LinkedIn operating system until LinkedIn found out about that. And so I had to change it to the operating system on launch day, which was really fun because the website got shut down and, and all that. But uh, it is essentially a two-hour course on how to use LinkedIn effectively. Because my, my whole creator journey didn't start on Twitter like most people. It started on LinkedIn back in 2018 when like no one was using the platform that way. I saw an opportunity to use it like people use Twitter. And so I just basically walk people through in two hours, like, how do I think about building a following that matters. So not like, yay, I got clicks and likes and virality because I shared a fun story or a sentimental story of like, how do you build a business on the platform? And uh, that's my, that my major course. I love that it's two hours. That's crazy. How much does it sell for? 150 bucks. My, my average revenue per user of, that, of this business on the course side is about $130.25. And so it's a high revenue, high margin business, but low ARPU. So it's like, pretty interesting. It's quantity. Yeah. I mean, to sell a million, 1.3 million at $130 is what, 10,000 people? Yeah, 10,000 courses a year. And I, I think that's fascinating as well. You're clearly the leader of this. Sure. And I think people think with courses or some of this stuff, it's like, it's got to be all this stuff. But really, it's like, okay, what, what's the goal they're trying to have or the outcome? And what's the quickest way I can get them to have a, a successful result? So I love that it's two hours. That's awesome. Totally. I, you know, what I did before building my courses, I bought a bunch of courses. And I was like, let's watch these and see what I don't like about them personally. And so I like opened up a course and I was like, oh, this is eight hours. I don't have eight hours. Like, I don't want to do that. I want to get point A to point B to achieve outcome in like, give me it in 45 minutes or 60 minutes or 90 minutes. Let me speed up the videos. Just, and I don't have to learn everything. Just give me the very specific outcome that I came for. And that's what I intend to do with all of my courses. So that's how I built them to please myself, I guess. Good for you, man. So how did you go from $0? I think that's a lot of the audience out there wants to have a solopreneur, one person business that's doing seven figures. Yeah. But how did you go get that first like thousand or $10,000? Like walk us through that. 
Yeah, very differently than I do now. So it's been a phased approach. So back in 2018, I knew like late 2018, I knew that I was going to leave my job. I, I've, I've talked about it before on podcast, but for a quick context, like I had a really, really bad panic attack um, that required like 911 and all this different stuff. And I knew that like just working this executive role was going to eventually burn me out or kill me. And so I was like, I'm going to quit my job in mid 2019. So I did what a lot of people do when they become solopreneurs is I did consulting. So I said, okay, I've worked in healthcare tech on the sales and marketing side for a decade. Both companies that I've been in have been, you know, valued at over a billion dollars. I'll just roll right into sort of consulting and advising for other healthcare technology companies that want to grow their sales and marketing revenue. So that's what I did. And I, I made money that way. The way that I make money now and what I talk about now and solopreneurship and social media, that was never the intention. Never. So I went from being SaaS advisor and consultant and fast forward four years, I've not necessarily burned the boats, but for lack of a better description, I kind of walked away from that life. And now I do something completely different. How much were you making as an executive before you quit? 550000 What? Yeah. Is that more or less than you expected? That's a lot of money. With- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was a great living. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I thought maybe I was like underpricing myself uh, horrifically or something when, when I saw your reaction. No, my reaction is holy shit. Well, I don't, well, I think what people miss at, like when I worked at mint.com a long time ago, I made a hundred K. It was the first time I made six figures and I thought they were stupid for paying me so much. And then I realized like I probably made them millions and millions of dollars. And so I think most of us don't recognize that you should get paid some percentage of the value generated, not necessarily just a salary. And so I'm guessing as an executive, you were probably doing a lot of, I'm assuming valuable things to get that level of compensation. Yeah. I mean, I I came on as the VP of sales of one person and with zero revenue. And so by the time I left five years later, the company was at 71 million in recurring. So you're getting underpaid is what you're saying. So yeah, I, I, I felt, I felt like it was, it was a worthwhile deal for, for the, for the company. And, you know, it was really stressful and all that, all that stuff. But, um, yeah, it was a great living. Uh, I think back on it and I don't, envision that I'll ever go back to doing that. But I certainly enjoyed enjoyed the run. I've got a shelf life of like five years. So it's like, whether it's companies or industry or whatever it might be, it's like at five years, I'm just like, I don't want to do this anymore. Let's go do something different. And so I'm in year four of this. So who knows a year from now, like maybe I'll build a brewery. I don't know. <laughs> One of the things to, to, to highlight there that I, I think I struggle and a lot of us struggle with that I think it's awesome you're calling it out is just accepting who we are. Totally. And accepting, and that doesn't mean you can't go beyond five years, but you're like, hey, I know this is what my, my thing is, but I think we all, we have this like internal conflict and resistance to what we maybe know. And then that creates the, the chaos or confusion versus be like, hey, five years, cool. For people out there that are saying, hey, I want a $1 million solopreneur business, and they, they weren't maybe an executive, maybe they're unemployed now, or they got fired, or maybe they're a designer or a freelancer. I guess, what, what would you recommend them to make their first like $10,000? Like, how would you explore that today? Well, there's a couple different things, right? So the easiest one out of out of everything that people can do is identify what they were really good at at their job, build a portfolio, a, a portfolio of services that mirror the outcomes that they were able to achieve for their company, and go out and find other companies that are doing those same things or want to do those same things. And I think that's generally the easiest way to get started. The other option that you have if you don't want to do that or you don't have that experience, is to find something that you're obsessed with, anything, anything that's going on that you want to learn more about. Uh, Building great landing pages, writing effective copy, growing on social media, starting an agency, something that you just want to learn about. 
go out, pick somebody who's done it really successfully, study the living hell out of them, and then go on your own journey. And when you go on your own journey, you might get to the same outcome as the people that you emulated, but you'll get there through a different path, a different journey. Not everyone's journey is the same. And then go find people who want to do the same thing and then take them on that journey. So that's like a second option if you don't want to use the skills that you identified in your workplace. What was the panic attack like? And then what's it like now being a solopreneur? It's funny. I think when I tell that story, I always assume that people will be listening on the other end and and saying, how bad could a panic attack be? It really was terrible. (laughs) Like uh, I thought I was dying. I was hallucinating. I was screaming at the top of my lungs. My wife didn't know what to do. We lived in LA at the time. And so we called 911. The paramedics came out and uh, hooked a bunch of wires up to me and told me that I wasn't dying. And when they told me that I wasn't dying, that was my first opportunity. It lasted like two hours. It was pretty wild. Your fingers go numb. Like It's just a really wild experience. Um, And having talked to other people who have had panic attacks, like they can kind of all confirm a lot of these same things. Started with the fingers going numb which was really kind of an obvious sign of you're having one. So that was really terrible. And so the first thing that I did, and this has gone into how I live now, was I cut alcohol for 90 days because part of what I think brought this panic attack on was I was working 16 to 18 hour days and I was going home and I was numbing myself with alcohol, you know, drinking a bottle of wine, eating a bunch of really terrible food. And so I cut alcohol, I improved my diet and my wife and I started walking 10 miles a day. And I lost 60 pounds maybe. And so I'm not as sharp or good as I was during that period of time now, but my lifestyle is certainly much healthier. What Do you think work was causing the panic attack? Yeah, work is the foundation. It's hard to blame on work, right? I, I've worked my whole life and I can work really hard. Like I can go for a long time and not quote unquote burn out or have a panic attack. It's to me, that's not what like burnout or panic attacks are all about. To me, it's loss of control. So it's when you work really, really, really hard and with each effort that you put in, things get worse instead of better. And I'm a big, huge control freak. And so I told you, like I started in this company, zero revenue, VP of sales, like executive by title only. And then as the team grew, it went from one person to 10 people to 50 to 150. And the revenue went from, you know, 1 million, to 10 million to 50 to 70 million. And every new day and every new dollar and every new teammate was something I had never seen before, right? It's like exploring a new universe that you've never seen. And as fires started popping up, I did what I had always done. Tried to solve them, got into the weeds. That doesn't work when you have 150 people. It works when you have 10. And so I didn't know how to fix it. And as I failed and failed and failed to fix it, revenue targets kept growing and I kept hitting them somehow, but everything felt out of control. And I think at one point in time, like I had just worked too long, drank too much, eaten too poorly, gained too much weight, and it all just came crashing after like a Christmas party. That was the, I had a panic attack the morning after our Christmas party at, at the company. How do you think that's influenced how you run this company? It's basically helped me create the backbone of this. Like I'll give it to you in this sort of short story, which is every day on social media, someone tells me the same thing, which is, you could grow 10 times faster if you did X. You could add 5 more million if you did Y. If you just did Z, your business would scale. Like, I don't give a shit. I don't want anything that puts me out of control. I am the owner of every part of my business. I don't want a publisher involved. I don't want a partner involved. 
I don't want an investor involved. I don't want anybody involved except for myself because I'm accountable to myself. I can go on vacation when I want. I don't answer to anybody. And I no longer have the fear of losing that control. And that's what solopreneurship to me is all about. Why did you choose not to hire full-time people or why did the, like the virtual system didn't work out? The virtual system was great. She just left the company and the replacement I didn't like. And so I just took it back upon myself to be my own virtual assistant. I don't want to hire people. I don't want to manage anyone. I don't want to, it has nothing to do with like margins or like, oh, it's all about me. None of that. It's just, I don't want to worry about anybody else other than myself and my wife, right? Like my courses are all automated. My customers have everything they need inside it. They generally don't need any handholding or customer service. Every once in a while, I get a question on email. I go ahead and answer it. But like, I didn't want to worry about taxes for, for folks or benefits or hiring or firing or, or any of those things. It's just, it's what I did for 10 years. And it's almost like <laughs> I have like flashbacks, you know, and it's like, it's like, I, I use PTSD, obviously knowing that that's not what it is and that that's a serious thing, but like, that's how I think about it is I've been there and done that and I don't want to do it anymore. It's funny. Last night it was eight o'clock. We were about to have dinner and I get a message like, oh, this guy just quit. And I'm like, we just paid him a lot of money and da da da. And it's just like, th- yeah, th- this whole video that we're doing about solopreneurs definitely uh, <laughs> makes me real jealous makes you real je- no there, there's trade-offs to all of it right like i, I feel of lucky course. that i have a team so maybe maybe t- for you like what are the trade-offs yeah that because I, I think somebody's gonna hear you and be like well never hiring a person again yeah but i, I don't yeah, know if that's right. always the full full picture yeah like do i think about it every day right so it crosses my mind every single day i get shiny outcome syndrome not shiny object syndrome i'm like oh I, this person's making 10 million this person's making 15 million this per- if i just did x the same thing those people tell me on social media then I could be like them. I get that every single day. I feel that, right? And I'm like, maybe I should hire a person to help me write my newsletter. Maybe I should hire a person to help me write my content, but I don't. And the trade-offs are this. I spend a lot of time doing the creative work, doing some customer service when I probably could be doing more strategy. I could be building more products. I could be delivering more services if someone was doing the writing or the creative work. I like doing it. And it keeps me from being maybe able to get from 1.7 to 3.5 or 5. But like, what do I need that for? I live a pretty awesome life. I have a house. I live where I want. I have a great wife. We can travel anywhere we want. We can eat what we want. We can do all the things we want to do. I'll tell you this. When I lived in Brooklyn and made a hundred grand, my life was no less happy than it is today. And I assume that if I made twice as what I mu- as much as I make now, that my life would be no happier. So this seems to work pretty well. Yeah. One gentleman we met, Brett from DesignJoy, we were interviewing different types of um, solopreneurs. Yeah, cool. I know DesignJoy. Yeah. He's, he's a great guy. But he, he did say he had a comment about like going on vacation was hard. I guess he's a little bit more of a service business and yours is a little bit more of a digital. Yeah. It's still like, not simple, right? Like the one thing about running the business I run is, is is a short shelf life on what drives revenue. So like I have to get up every day and create on social media. That that's what drives impressions on my content, drive visitors to my website, drive purchases. So like it's a short, you know, it, it spikes and then the social media runs out. You got to create again. Social media runs out, create again. So you're you're always much like a job, somewhat on a hamster wheel. But I like writing. I love writing. I've always loved writing. I, I haven't always been very good at it. 
So when I go on vacation, I have to wake up in the morning, sometimes in the evening, depending on where I'm on vacation, and take an hour to an hour and a half to do the things that keep my business going. But I'll take that as a trade-off for being able to leave and go where I want, spend as much time as I want there, and not have to worry about anybody quitting, like like you said, when when I'm there. And so yeah, there there are definitely trade-offs, but like I love the 100% ownership and accountability that it comes with. Yeah, they're definitely trade-offs. And it's not it's not better or worse. I guess it just depends on what you like and, and where you're at. Totally. And what, you know, just preferences. Like you could go, you did it the other way. You're trying it this way. And I'm curious to hear more about your system. So we we try to schedule with you and you're like, I can meet this time next week on a Thursday. Mm-hmm. And I like stuff like that because there's clearly some system going on. Maybe can you share a little bit more about, about how that looks? Yeah, totally. So um, first, like my calendar, I guess I would call like a system, which is, you know, I, I schedule... I do things when I'm best at them. So for example, uh, people are like, oh, you should go to the gym at the end of the day. It's not crowded. I stink at going to the gym at the end of the day. I'm just like, if the day's already gone by, I'm like, I'll just skip today. So like every day is built in the morning where I go to the gym or I go on a walk or, or I do something physically exerting, right? Then I, ha- I come home, I shower and like I carve out the morning for creative time. So like part of my system is managing my calendar. Things that I want to do like this or like a coaching call or a meeting with somebody are generally done in the afternoon. It's not today because it's during the holiday season, but generally in the afternoon. So like my, my calendar is one thing, but I think the big system that keeps my business running is my content system, which generally starts with like a core piece of content, which is my newsletter. And I have this very specific way that I go from idea to research to creation to then ripping it all apart and turning it into 15 pieces of content that can be delivered consistently and on time across two social media channels over two weeks. I can do all of that in less than three hours in one day, write a newsletter, create 15 pieces of content, schedule everything. And that's because it's literally a plug and play system. I never, ever, like I mentioned before, open up a blank piece of paper and and say, what should I write my newsletter about today? It's templatized. It's systematized. It's like following a paint by numbers book is how my business is built. Can you share a little bit more about that? I think that's probably in your course as well, but like at a higher level. It, it is, but I'm happy to share it. Like I don't, I've talked about it in many places. So for example, I'll take 45 minutes or an hour, or I'll take two 30 minute blocks. It just depends on, on how uh, my week is looking. And I'll set aside time to ideate. And ideate is like really simple. I subscribe to a bunch of curated newsletters. I subscribe to a bunch of YouTube channels that are all relevant to what I talk about solopreneurship, digital courses, marketing, a lot of the things that I talk about on social media every day. And I'll spend two 30-minute blocks looking through those things. Is anything that anybody is talking about interesting to me? So I'll try and note six to 10 things during that block that are interesting. And I just keep a running tally in Notion. So it's a tally of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of ideas, right? There's no new idea. Like I'll see someone how to grow on Twitter to 5,000 followers. Well, cool. He has his way. I can talk about the same topic and show my way, right? How how would I do it? So I I run through a list of ideas. On Monday uh, around noon, I pick an idea, whatever stands out to me that day. And then I do quick research. I'm looking for one quote, one tweet, one book, and one article. That's what I want. And so I'll do maybe 15 minutes of research to find something that either backs up what I'm saying or maybe disagrees with what I'm saying so I can talk a little bit about it. So now I've got my idea, I've got my, my research, and then I open up my newsletter template. In my newsletter template, I've created, and it's essentially the same template every week. doesn't matter because it helps the reader. It's, here's a big problem my readers face. 
Here's how most of my readers try and solve the problem. Here's why that doesn't work. Here's how I would do it instead. Action, action, action. Cheers. The end. And so I have a template of like, in this sentence, say this. In this next paragraph, describe this. And then in this follow-up paragraph, describe this. It's all very systematized. So I can write the newsletter quickly. Title, headlines, body, done. I can usually do a newsletter in less than 45 minutes. And then I have a system where I look in the next step, step four. The next step is editing. I ask myself four editing questions. And then step five becomes writing, which is like, how do you turn this into a story? Pain, agitate, intrigue, positive future, solution, story, done. What's an observation about this thing that I just wrote about? What's a prediction I have for the future about this thing that I just wrote about? What's a contrarian viewpoint that I have about the thing that I just wrote, wrote about? And I'll just run through them again. So I have six prompts. And by the end, I'm done with six with 12 pieces of content. And then I stagger those 12 pieces of content across two weeks. And then I write the pre-newsletter CTA, the post-newsletter CTA, and I'm done. Yeah, I'm on your newsletter. Yeah, cool. It's the same newsletter every week. It just talks about a different problem. Yeah, it's always kind of a story too, which I like. Thanks. Some of them I like, I've liked more than others, but it's... Cool. Uh, I guess that's I'll like assume that will continue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What other tools do you use and what other systems do you use? I use Notion. I use Hype Fury. I use Kajabi, hosts most of my stuff for my business. I'm going to be using ConvertKit here soon. Systems, uh, let's see. I have a really interesting system that I use for Twitter threads, which is, I'll give you an example. If I had to write a Twitter thread about what makes a great landing page for selling things. I have the information here. I know what makes a great landing page. If we sat down and talked about it for 10 minutes, I could probably remember more and more and more things. It's just really hard to get that stuff from here into organized fashion, in an orderly fashion for a thread, right? And a lot of writing a thread is like trying to organize the pieces and it can take an hour. So I love just picking one of my ideas. I'll go into chat GPT-3 and say, what are 10 steps for doing this thing? And they'll be like, here are 10 steps for a great landing page. And it's like, those are writing prompts. I'm like, oh, I like this one. Yeah, of course. I would have remembered that. Put that here. I disagree with that one. Take it out. Yes, I, I like this one, but I would say it differently. So put it in here. And by the time I'm done, I have an outline. I never use it. No copy pasting. It's not compelling. It's not interesting. But at least it gives me a writing outline. And then I'll just fill in the body with what I actually believe. But at least they've sort of helped me organize my thoughts. And that allows me to do Twitter threads in you know less than 20 minutes now which is great because those drive a lot of my growth on Twitter. It's so interesting about this. Yeah, I love all these different systems and, and things you do. It's 600 bucks a month. A lot of the things we used to have to hire people for can be done through like a Zapier, mm -hmm. can be done through like, you know, a software tool that could even be free. Like you can use Notion for free. You can use some of these tools for free. And uh, it's so cool. Totally. Here's something that is interesting that's automated that drives another revenue stream that's a recurring revenue business that has almost zero lift, right? Which is I'm getting 10,000 students a year into my courses. And inside of both of those courses, there are modules. And so I thought to myself, what's something that I do for myself that is relevant to these courses that I'm already doing that I could sell to other people? So there's no additional lift. I'm already doing it for myself. And so like one thing that I do is I create little social media templates that are helpful for people trying to figure out how to write social media style content for the first time. And I was like, all right, I'm, I'm creating these templates for myself. So I just started storing them in a Notion doc. And then I don't sell them. I use my courses as sort of a Trojan horse into the subscription business where it's like, you can buy a course here and you can buy a course here. Both are going to talk about social media at some point. 
And so I use an automation. When you go through the copywriting thing over here and you go through the social media thing over here, you open up your inbox and it's like an email from me, which is like, hey, I just saw you just took the copywriting. If you want to you know, expedite your copywriting, did you know I have five templates for nine bucks a month? And so out of those 10,000 course purchases, 2,000 people have enrolled in the $9 a month business, making it a $18,000 a month MRR business by doing something that I'm already doing for myself. Now I make money on it. I like that. If someone's out there and they're, for their dream in life is to make a million dollars, they're like, I want to, mm-hmm. you know, in their entrepreneurship journey, what advice do you have for them? Well, yeah. I mean, I guess there's probably a lot of advice, but I would say the, the first thing is don't quit your job and like go all in. Maybe that works for some people. It wouldn't work for me. So like the first thing that I would say is kind of use your job as an investment capital for your, your idea right? Everyone's got an idea. It's like, consider your salary like an investment in this side project and try and find 60 to 90 minutes a day. And I know it's hard. I know people have kids. I know people have busy lives, but like try and find some free time where you can work on this side project. The second thing that I would say is try and find the service that you can use first. I think selling services is the easiest thing. I already do this thing at work. There are other clients who look like what I do at work. They need the same help. Go out and service them right? Service them on the weekend, service them a little after hours, a little before hours, and try and make some sort of hourly rate, whatever your, your rate is. Whatever you make at work divided by 20, 80 times three, that's like a great place to start, right? It gives you an hourly rate. What will happen is over the course of servicing all of these people, you will find two things to be true. The first thing that you will find is you love working with a very specific type of customer, And the second thing is that you hate working with a very specific type of customer, right? Those two things are generally true. Go to the customers you like and ask them what they wish they could get more of from your business, right? From your service. When you find the intersection of people you like to service and things customers want from you, you can generally raise your rates, right? That is the easiest way to start making more money doing a service business. So now you've got happy customers, customers you like working with and a higher hourly rate. The next thing you want to look for inside of these customers that you kind of threw to the side is like, how can you service them in an automated way since you don't really like working with them in a service business? Go back and talk to all the customers you no longer work with. What did you like working with me? What did you wish you could get more of? What are the most common problems these people all had? Package that up, put it into a digital product. So now you've got two different types of offerings. You've got high ticket service offering. You've got a lower ticket product offering. And sometimes the people you like, like working with won't need your services so they can buy the digital product. And now you've got two things. Once you do that, you go out and create a little more attention for yourself on social media. You talk a little bit more to your customer and you'll probably grow that business. At some point, if you can get 60 to 70% of what you made in your current job, go all in. When you have 40 hours of work back, you can invest in the service and the product business and start to find a way to get more traffic to the high ticket and find a way to get more traffic to the lower ticket. By doing that, you can scale these up slightly and hopefully hit a million dollars. That was the most exact thing I've, I've ever heard, which is, is awesome. Uh, one thing I think people will ask is that if they don't have a following or they don't have an audience, like how would you recommend them getting a few of their first clients or audience to be potential clients? I'd recommend they start building something, building an audience. Right? I think that's, the, that's a recommendation. Of course, there are other ways to do it. There are lots of folks who have no social media audience who make a lot of money freelancing and doing those things. A lot of people do cold outbound, right? Um, I don't know much about that. So I don't recommend doing cold outbound. I've never done it. I'm not an expert at it. I don't want to pretend that I am. The first thing that I would do is I would start sharing 
the journey that you're going on. People try, they jump on Twitter, they jump on LinkedIn, they jump on whatever platform they want to use to try and grow an audience. And they go out and they find the people who have the most following and they see all the things they do and then they copy all of those things. And then they're really surprised to find out when what works for Naval Ravikant doesn't work for you know a guy with one follower, right? And they're really surprised to do that. Instead, take all the people that you love following and reverse engineer their journey. Go find Dan Coe, go find Dickie Bush or whomever, right? Noah Kagan, whomever you want to find, go out and go back in time using advanced Twitter search and find their journey. Watch their writing. See when they got their first piece that started to resonate and go back and try and reconstruct and, and you kind of back that journey. That's what I did when I started on Twitter. I went back in time to like 2019 and I found all the stuff that Sahil Bloom first wrote. I found all the stuff that Dickie Bush first wrote. And I said, what is it about this stuff that people like? And so I just broke it all apart and started using it in my early journey. And then over time, your style will change, you'll evolve and you'll find your own voice. And pretty soon people will follow you for your own voice. And then when you have an audience, you have leverage, you have optionality, you have so many different things that you can do with that attention. And so that would be my recommendation. Last thing, what areas or categories, like categories, ideas, business ideas, are you most excited about? Uh, and then I do have one other question after that. Sure. I think, I don't know that it's a business idea, but I'm excited about it. So maybe it is, which is of all the people connected to the internet, we think about the people mostly, at least here in the States, as the people in the States. And I think there's, a massive amount of internet connected users in India, Africa, all these sort of places that are really getting into social media, getting into technology. And I think there's an, a way to start to help those folks make dollars. And I think that that is significantly more life changing than me making a couple extra bucks. And so, what I'd like to figure out how to do is take what I do, and the majority of my customers are in America and UK and things like that, New Zealand, Australia, Germany, things like that, and spread that to some of the areas that are like India, like Pakistan, like, like Africa. I think there's a business there. I just don't know what it is, but I'm interested to find out. That's part of what I want to do in like late 2023, early 2024. And then uh, last thing, what is the American dream? To me, it's to do what you want, when you want, with whom you want, and do very little of what you don't like doing. How do you think you're doing on the American dream? Okay. You know, what you see on social media that I write is like what you see on social media that everyone writes. Part of it is true. Part of it is a facade, right? We're all struggling in the background. I think no matter what numbers you see, no matter what people say about their productivity or there's a lot of bullshit out there. And I tend to share a lot of the things that are going well and things are going well for me and for my family. We have plenty of struggles and problems and challenges that we hope to overcome, but I'm on the journey to achieving what I uh, set out to achieve, which is where I'm currently at. Good for you, man. That's a wrap. I hope you loved the episode as much as we did recording it for you. Go give Justin some love on Twitter. It's at the Justin Welsh or subscribe to his newsletter, Justin Welsh. That's W-E-L-S-H dot M-E. Next, text your friend you love him. 
yo dog, let's go write some content together. And before you go, tweet at me at Noah Kagan, TikTok, Instagram, whatever it is, at Noah Kagan. I love hearing from y'all. Also, remember to go subscribe to my newsletter. That's okdork.com. Okdork.com. I put my best tips into a single short email each and every week. Finally, a couple shout outs to the amazing team, Jason at podcasttech.com for making these episodes sound so much better than the original versions. Thank you to Mitchell, Jeremy, George, all the door team. These people are just amazing. I'm so lucky to work with them. And thank you to the marketing team. I started being more involved in the marketing team at AppSumo. It's a bunch of really creative, fun people looking forward to all of the wild things we're going to be putting out this year at AppSumo.com. Have a wholesome day. Yes, I'm talking about you. What's your favorite dance move? What's the most famous dance move in the world? Macarena? Dun, 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 d